Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. The Parsha, the Torah portion that follows the one in which we read about the Ten Statements, Ten Commandments, is called Mishpatim. It deals with civil law, the laws that govern our relationship between ourselves and others. But it also contains laws concerning our relationship with God. Those two areas may seem to be disparate. One has nothing to do with the other. But as we'll see today, every commandment that deals with our relationship with God could also be applied to our relationship with others. And conversely, every commandment that tells us how to relate to other people will also be applied to our relationship with God. I want to focus on a commandment in this week's Torah portion that tells us how to relate to a widow and an orphan. And the Torah says the following, You shall not oppress a widow or orphan. And the Torah goes on, If you do oppress him, if he will cry out to me, I will hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and so on. So the Torah here makes it very clear that we're not supposed to oppress a widow or an orphan. That sounds a little strange, why the Torah would have to tell us something so basic as not pressing a widow or an orphan. Well, of course you could say, well, why does the Torah have to tell us you shouldn't commit murder? Does the Torah have to tell a normal person that murder is wrong or that theft is wrong, that adultery is wrong? And yet the Torah finds it necessary to make those into commandments. But the answer to that is that the Torah wants that we should know that when a person commits the crime of murder, it's a crime against God, not just against his fellow human being. When you commit theft, it's not just something that relates to another individual, but it relates to God himself, because it's a divine commandment. But in this case over here about the widow and the orphan, the Torah could have just said, don't oppress anyone. And that would have included the widow and the orphan, and therefore that would have made it into a commandment that relates to our relationship to God. Rashi, in fact, says that this commandment applies to everyone, but widows and orphans are more vulnerable and therefore people will start up with them. But still, the question can be asked, why doesn't the Torah simply say, do not oppress anyone? And that would have included, of course, the widow and the orphan, because no one in their right mind would have said, I can't oppress a total stranger, a healthy person who has parents and has a husband or, or a wife, but I could oppress a widow or an orphan. That's preposterous. So the question that we have to resolve is why does the Torah single out a widow and an orphan? That's question number one. Question number two, when the Torah discusses the widow and the orphan, it talks about both of them, the widow and the orphan. You shall not oppress a widow or orphan. But right after that, the next verse that I quoted before, it says, if you do oppress him, and if he cries out to me, I will hear his cry. What do you mean him? We're talking about a widow and an orphan. So it should have said, if you oppress them, they will cry out 
to me and I will hear their cry. Why does it refer only to the orphan? The widow obviously is would be using a feminine term. Uh, it doesn't say her, it says him. It's referring to the orphan. So why does the Torah leave out the widow, the widow's cries when she's oppressed? Question number three. It, when you look at English translations, you can't see this nuance. And that's one of the problems with translation, because even the best translation could only take a Hebrew word and give you one nuance, one slice of understanding of what that word means. Because Hebrew, Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, every word is so precise, and that one word could have several meanings, and they're all valid. They're all incorporated into one word. If you look in the Torah's text itself, it uses a double expression. It says, if you will oppress, which is, if you translate it word by word, it's saying, if oppress, you shall oppress. And then it goes on to say, he will cry out, cry out, he will cry out to me. Again, repeats, cry, cry out to me. And I will listen, listen, I will listen to his cry. So three times it uses a double expression that the oppression is doubly expressed here. Ane ta'ana, oppress, you shall oppress him. Then the crying out, his response to that, his reaction to that is tzok yitzak, crying out, he shall cry out. And then God's response to that is, here I will hear his cry. Why the double expression over here? So the way to answer all these questions is to look at this commandment of not to oppress a widow and an orphan and apply it to our relationship with God. Because as I mentioned before, every commandment that relates to how we connect to God can also be applied to every relationship between one human being and another. And conversely, every commandment that relates to how we deal with other people could also be applied to God. So when we talk about a widow and we talk about an orphan, we can be talking about the Jewish people in the state of exile when they are compared to a widow and an orphan. And let me explain. When we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, that is considered to be our marriage the marriage between God and the Jewish people. In fact, there's an entire biblical book, the book called Song of Songs, Shir Hashirim, which is a collection of love songs, romantic love songs, which we know is a metaphor for the love between God and Israel. Rabbi Akiva, the famous Talmudic sage, says that all of the Torah is Kodesh, is holy, the Song of Song is Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies, because it talks about the most intimate relationship between God and Israel. But that relationship was a very good one, was a very healthy one at the time that the Torah was given to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. Later on, when they came into Israel and they built the temple, God's relationship with the Jewish people was a very healthy one, a very robust one. And the same thing repeated itself, although not to the same extent, during the second temple. But after the destruction of the temple, when we were driven into exile, something happened with that marriage. There are two different levels of the marriage that did not really flourish. 
One is likened to divorce. A divorce is where the two husband and wife don't get along. There's a lot of adversity there in that relationship. There could be hostility. There can be all sorts of negative feelings. And there's no other choice. They have to separate and divorce. And in some instances, the exile of the Jewish people from their land, that geographic distance and alienation, was translated in a spiritual alienation where the Jewish people, in certain times and certain people at certain places, rebelled against God and brought about what appears to be a divorce. Now, in truth, the biblical prophet says there is no real divorce. You cannot be divorced from God, and God will never abandon the Jewish people. But that relationship is one that is completely covered up because the hostility that exists, the negativity that exists, is what dominates. And the love is buried very deeply within the Jewish person's soul and within God's relationship with us. That's the divorce. But we're not talking about divorce here. We're talking about a widow. What is a widow? Literally, someone whose husband has died. Now, of course, what does that mean in terms of our relationship with God? This refers to someone who is not rebellious, someone who is not out to rebel against God. There's no hostility. There is indifference because exile has so crushed the Jewish people's spirit that they became desensitized and they lost their feeling for God. This is an insidious influence of exile that doesn't allow us to feel anything. So we're like a widow where the husband for all intents and purposes, is no longer alive in our hearts and souls as a result of the galus, galut, the exile situation. So that's the the widow, the the person, the Jew, who has lost touch with his his or her Judaism because there is no life there, there is no vibrancy, and they are likened to the widow. But then there's the orphan. The orphan is somebody who loses a parent, father and a mother. What does that mean in a spiritual vein in our relationship with God? In Hasidic thought, we're told that father and mother are metaphors for the two intellectual faculties known as Chachma and Bina. Chachma usually translated as wisdom, and Bina usually translated as understanding. But the real meaning is Chachma is the conceptual knowledge our ability to conceive of an idea. If you have a good idea and you translate that idea into reality, it it emerges with feelings, emotions follow. If you have an idea how good something is, if you use a simple down-to-earth analogy, you, you, you are told and you have the concept that a certain house is a very beautiful house, a very suiting house for your family, you have the idea that whets your appetite, maybe I buy that house, maybe I should look into that house. But it's not enough, it's only an idea, it's not really developed. Bina is where you develop the idea, you elaborate on it, you elucidate it, you flesh out the idea, and you have the entire structure of that house, all the different rooms organized in your mind, and you see how exciting the prospects are of having such a house, of owning such a house, when you have the both the chachma, the concept, the idea, and you have the bina, the development of the idea in all of its 
ramifications, all of its details, then it translates into feelings. Then you have a desire for that for that house. Well, let's transfer this to God. When a person has the conceptual knowledge and then also has the development of that concept, that's like a father and a mother. The concept is like the seed that the father gives in reproduction. And the bina, the understanding, is the process of gestation of that idea that ultimately leads to the birth of emotions. When we're dealing with God, when we reflect on God's role in our lives, when we reflect on God's greatness and God's unity and all the things that we read about God in our prayers and we do it seriously, then that will cultivate and reveal certain feelings, feelings of awe. We're in awe of God, certain feelings of love, And these can be subdivided into many other categories of emotions. So what is the definition based on this understanding of what father and mother is, that it's chachma and bina, wisdom and understanding? What then is an orphan? An orphan is someone who, as a result of exile conditions, doesn't have the capacity to have the understanding, the requisite understanding to develop true emotions, solid emotions, they're orphaned. They, they, the exile took away our ability to really focus on God with understanding because we have so many conflicts, we have so many things that get in our way, distractions and so on. So we're also orphaned. Now, which of these two categories is worse, the widow or the orphan? Well, based on this analysis, the widow is worse. For her, the husband, with a capital H, is dead. There's no life there. So crushed has this person been as a result of exile that they don't have the ability even to cry out, I'm in exile. Please, God, take me out. I can't handle it. I can't tolerate it. No, there's no, there's no ability to emote. I knew of people who, after the Holocaust, couldn't start crying because they were so crushed and devastated that they couldn't even express themselves, even to cry out. It took time, and gradually people began to have the ability to emote. Well, that's what the widow is. The orphan, on the other hand, though the orphan doesn't have understanding, doesn't have the clarity of mind to develop solid emotions, but the basic emotions the orphan does have, the orphan knows that he or she is an orphan. And that's why the Torah, when it speaks about crying out, it uses the singular and talks about him. If you do oppress him, and if he cries out to me, I will hear his cry. What about the widow? The widow doesn't cry because she know, she doesn't have the ability to cry because there's no life there. There's nothing stirring in her, and therefore there's no crying. That's even worse than the orphan. At least the orphan can cry out. And then this explains also why it uses the double expression, because what the orphan is crying about is crying about the loss of both intellectual powers, chachma, the conceptual knowledge, and bina, the development of the knowledge. The orphan says, I don't have either, so he cries out, he's oppressed, doubly oppressed. And therefore, when God responds, God responds to the two characteristics that he's missing because of exile. In addition, the two forms of crying out, 
two forms of oppression, and God's response refers to the two temples. We have two, we had two temples, and each temple was destroyed for a totally different reason. The first temple was destroyed because we did not relate to God the way we should have. We were idol worshipers. The second temple was destroyed because we didn't get along with each other. We had senseless hatred. So the two temples that were destroyed brought about two forms of oppression. They desensitized us in both directions, in relation to God and relation to our fellow human being. And therefore, the oppression is a double oppression. And the crying out, we cry out for both temples because each temple had different spiritual characteristics that we lost with their destruction. And God responds by building the third temple, which will encompass both of the temples. It will have the qualities of both temples. On one hand, it'll be a temple like the first temple where God's glory was much more revealed than in the second temple. But the second temple was much more established. It lasted longer, it was larger, and it was much more in touch with the reality on the ground. We will have both of these qualities fused together in the third temple. God follows his own commandments, the Midrash tells us. So if God tells us to not oppress the widow and the orphan, that means that God says to us, you have a job, you have a responsibility as a Jew to find the widow and to find the orphan. And when the orphan cries out, and the widow who doesn't cry out, she's even in worse shape because they are oppressed. They don't know what God is all about. They don't know what the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, is all about. They don't know what Judaism is all about. They're orphaned. They're widowed. We have to restore their ability to have a relationship with God and bring them into the Holy Temple. And God will certainly hear their pleas, their cries, and our efforts to help them restore their relationship with God, and he will rebuild for us the third holy temple imminently. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.